0: Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parmpil, and this is Red Lines. My guest today is Rania Kalik. You know her from Soapbox. She's also co-host of the podcast Left Bitches Who Are Right. You know her, obviously. If you're a follower of the Gray Zone, nice to talk to you, Rania. I, I, it's been a while since I feel like we've we've we've. It's definitely been a while since we've done a Rania and Anya show, but it, it's uh, the the impeachment drama was just too hard to resist.
1: Yeah, it's been a crazy uh, couple weeks like watching a weird soap opera with really ugly people.
0: <laughs> and you've been doing this, you've been tuning in from Lebanon. I don't know why you want to subject yourself to yeah. to this. But what before we get into hearing some specific clips from the impeachment trial, I just wanted to get your general take on the whole the whole drama. Is this the best use of the Democrats time right now? It's just odd to me that we're again in the middle of this pandemic. There was so much hype around finally getting Biden in office. And we've had a month of Democrat rule. And this has been the focus. Yeah, it's actually really jarring to
1: watch, especially from abroad, because a lot of the news that you hear about America is interestingly not impeachment centered. It's mostly centered on the covid crisis in America um and on the fact that there's just it's so widespread there i mean there's 15 million people who at least who've lost their health insurance because of the financial ruin they're experiencing from the economic uh troubles from the COVID crisis you have 50 million americans facing hunger you have uh you know you have extreme i mean you've got this this like growing wealth gap you've got so much you have so you have so many you have so much suffering taking place right now across the country. People are desperate. They've lost their jobs. They are you know you have forty million people facing eviction. They're in desperate need of relief. And the Democrats came into office promising immediate two thousand dollar checks. They right away backtrack on that, and then now they're not even talking about it anymore. Everything's about impeachment, 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 and. It really is just this disconnected, weird spectacle um, of all these members of Congress getting together. And of course, Democrats on one side making their case, Republicans making their case. And I have to say, you know, watching it, obviously, I'm not sympathetic to what happened on January 6th. It was pretty, you know, horrible to watch. It was something very negative that took place. It was a violent riot. Um, That said, Democrats are. They know they're not going to win this. So what's the purpose of dragging the country into this political drama of theirs while so many people are suffering? And, you know, their case isn't even that strong. Like they're making a very strong emotional case. It's kind of like this sort of emotional manipulation that all Democrats seem to be engaged in from all ends of the Democratic spectrum, um, relying heavily on emotion, even crying in their, you know, uh, in the speeches they're giving and the testimony they're giving uh, and then just making really annoying, obnoxious comments about American arrogance and American exceptionalism and how, you know, Trump ruined our image. And then you have Republicans on the other end. Uh, well, they started out pretty uh, weak in the beginning in the beginning of the trial and everybody made fun of that. They've actually put forth a pretty solid defense, I think, um, really on the grounds of free speech. Uh, And, you know, trying to demonstrate that, you know, or trying to show that Democrats have not demonstrated that Trump legally, by like legal definition, by legal president, incited a riot. Uh, And I actually think it's kind of dangerous what Democrats are trying to do on free speech grounds. And we can go into that a little bit more later, but but I think it's kind of dangerous because what you know, if you watch the if you watch the Republicans, if you watch Trump's lawyers make their case. They actually showed a montage of Democrats holding rallies, speaking to large crowds of people, telling them to go fight using the kind of rhetoric that we hear from political leaders at rallies. And what they pretty much showed is that you can kind of accuse anyone of inciting a riot if the basis for that is just saying to go fight. Um but that's you know that's like a free of a free speech issue and you know it's like a legal issue but I do think that Republicans actually put forth a pretty good argument and ultimately it doesn't even matter because Democrats already know they're not going to have the votes to impeach him so it's a waste of everyone's time and for what so Democrats can have some sort of symbolic victory well average people in the country continue to suffer uh and it's not going to win the Democrats any you know it's not going to win them anything in positive in the long run because people are just going to remember that Democrats spent their time in some political drama instead of helping people.
0: Yeah, we'll pick up on what you said definitely about the, the dangers regarding the free speech argument Democrats are making right now. But I wanted to emphasize another point you made, which is that the Democrats have really been making an emotional case. There was even a special Session overseen by representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, which was just Members of Congress recounting their experience on January 6th. I wanted to play some of the things they had to say
2: And I apologize and I told my daughter Tabitha Who's 24 and a brilliant algebra teacher in Teach for America now, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol again.
3: So I'm here tonight to say to my brothers and sisters in Congress and all around our country, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for I had never understood, really understood what privilege really means. It took a violent mob of insurrectionists and a lightning bolt moment in this very room. But now I know, believe me, I really know.
2: I asked her to go last because I get,
0: Because this is so personal. <laughs> so, Ronnie, I'm, I'm playing those sound bites not to mock someone like Rashida Tlaib, who did receive real death threats during her time working on the Hill, but she wasn't even there on January 6th. And so this seemed more to just be a democratic strategy, get the waterworks going and and get people fired up.
1: Yeah, it looked like, honestly, a very disconnected therapy session uh, that was very self-involved. I get it. Like, if I had been there that day, I would have probably been very scared as well. I'm not denying that people experience trauma um, or feel very sad about it or want to cry about it. Uh, But that said, it's just like people have other things going on in their lives. Again, the country is suffering dramatically right now. Like, there's all kinds of trauma being experienced at the moment. Um, And so to focus so much on, like, personal feelings like that just feels, again, disconnected. But also it's, you know, just from a strategic standpoint, I actually think it's unwise. It might in the moment seem like Democrats are, like, rallying their side to their cause or something by, by behaving this way. But they're just weaponizing emotion, uh, and that could easily be used and turned around against them. And it's it, it, it you know it raises the question of what they're weaponizing this emotion for, and that 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 remains unclear to me because there seem to be a few different agendas taking place. In the AOC's case, she's partly politicizing this to seemingly want to you know encourage more censorship. That seems really wrong to me. Um, and then you have, you know, other members of Congress trying to politicize this because they want a bolder domestic war on terror, something that we should also be weary of considering how the last war on terror went. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it seems disconnected and also just it, it feels unsettling to me because it seems like the road this leads to what they're using this for is not, you know, something positive. And it's something that's going to benefit people. It's something that could actually ultimately be quite dangerous to civil liberties uh, and just completely distract from, you know, the actual problems taking place in the country. And what I find really, really jarring watching the, uh, the kind of drama on display is how everyone's so concerned about what happened on January 6th, yet no one's discussing how to prevent it. No one's discussing how to prevent the rise of the far right. No one's discussing the fact that, you know, we saw the Washington Post, not a pro-Trump outlet, came out with this article showing that a lot of the people who've been arrested for participating in that riot had experienced financial hardship very recently.
0: Yeah, that they had higher levels of debt than the national average even in some cases. Right.
1: And, and why are we not talking about this? And then you know you had Ilhan Omar, and I don't even know why she did this, considering the kinds of economic policies she supports, which are quite progressive. But you had her tweeting in response to that Washington Post article, uh, something you know I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, it's not economic anxiety, uh, like it's hatred or it's racism or whatever. Um, trying to sort of collapse what's happening down into this very shallow analysis of just racism and hatred when we know historically that economic anxiety leads to fuels the far right. It makes people more susceptible to far right narratives and in America, far right narratives have a massive platform. Um, So, I mean, why aren't we talking about that? If you Mm -hmm. really care about the rise of domestic extremism, you should be wanting to prevent it. You should be wanting to reverse it. And the way you do that is you look at what's causing it and you engage, and you address those issues. You address those material concerns. That's literally all you can do. Yeah. And instead of talking about that, we're watching this weird spectacle play out. It just seems completely bonkers.
0: And rather than focus simply on trump and whether or not he incited a riot getting down into this nitty-gritty argument about language which is difficult to prove i don't get why the conversation isn't geared toward investigating the security failures which led to to the people on january 6 getting inside of congress why is our anger not directed at the fbi we're now hearing about how some of the major groups involved, including the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, were essentially led by FBI informants. We know that they were planning all of this openly online. So why is that not what's stressed here? Why aren't we asking where where was the intelligence around around January sixth?
1: I mean, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered about that. One of your your highest level of is it the leader of the Proud Boys, if I'm not mistaken? the actual yeah. leader turns out to have been a high level FBI informant. You got to ask yourself questions.
0: Arrested so. the day before. He was arrested yeah. the day before so he couldn't be present of course, but he'd riled everyone up to get there.
1: I mean there remains that's I don't know why that's not a central issue here. Like it it seems like Democrats don't actually want to find out why things went wrong. Um they're, they'd much rather just like have their little pity party where they cry. I, I don't, I, I can't answer, I don't know. I don't know, but there are a lot of questions to be asked about what happened on January 6th. I mean, you and I both know that Washington DC is one of the most heavily fortified cities, if not the most heavily fortified city in the world. Um, it's like prepared for several, uh, it's prepared in several ways in every way imaginable for any kind of like apocalyptic scenario, terrorist attack, whatever it may be, in order to be able to protect the most powerful people in the country who rule from there. Um, So the fact that these people were able to get this close to the Capitol, of course, like, and you will have all these informants involved. You have people openly planning it. Like, we need to ask why are policing and intelligence agencies not, they haven't been. We know that for over a decade or two decades, they have not been taking seriously at all the danger posed by the far right. Why? We never talk about that. Um, but the answer to that, of course, is not to, you know, ramp up policing. The answer to that is not to give the authorities more power than they already have. I mean, at this point, authorities in America have, like, enough power to put us all in prison for the, thinking the wrong things because of how much power they gained after the war on terror. Um, so that that's why like I worry about the way all of this is also getting framed because that even when it is discussed like there are some democrats that do want to talk about these things but when they do talk about them it's always in this framing of like how do we police more how do we surveil more and I don't think that's the answer again we have to look at the root causes of far right extremism I mean far right extremism has been on the rise since, on, on the rise, like like a huge rise, uh, experienced a huge boom after the election of Obama back in 2008, which coincided with a huge financial collapse that destroyed a lot of people's livelihoods. That's not a coincidence. Like, why aren't we talking about that? And the fact that this happened after a year of COVID destroying the economy and making everybody feel unstable and insecure. I mean, it's like, it's like these should be the questions at the forefront. If you really care about preventing... Q and on from growing and if you really care about preventing another riot on the Capitol, you need to be asking these questions and instead we're watching Jamie Raskin and Rashida Tlaib cry like yeah it doesn't make any sense
0: yeah and Engage in this political theater rather than, as you say, talk about passing COVID relief checks. When you have even Senator Bernie Sanders defending the decision to reduce the amount of money. We were promised 2000 And he recently said in an interview, yeah, 2000 that's 1400 plus the 600 you already received. If that's what we're getting from Sanders.
2: And what we have promised the American people, we've said two things uh, in the last month. We said, we're going to get you $2,000, that's $600 plus
0: $1,400. It, it's just, I think we live in a really pathetic political situation. It's pathetic, and Honestly, it's, it's it's shocking to me what people
1: are willing to put up with. Like, especially the left in America. I mean, whatever that means, it's a stupid umbrella term that doesn't really have much meaning. But for whatever exists of the left in America, it's like... It, it's like they're still they they're still caught in some world where they're just like applauding Bernie Sanders all the time. Yeah, like it's there is like no even five years ago through. he said that Henry Kissinger was bad. I mean, come on, guys! Like <laughs> what? It's like they're falling for stupid symbolic stuff too. Like it doesn't. I honestly, I look around, and there seem to be so few voices and outlets actually talking about things that are really happening. Everything is just. Everything is just, like, cheerleading for the squad or cheerleading for Bernie Sanders or fighting over, you know, like, this person criticized the DSA. And all the while, what you have on the other side is an extremely well-organized right that's getting stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just, like, I don't – I mean, I, I don't think I've ever felt this – hopeless. I hate to say that, but hopeless about the ability of the left to do anything in America. I mean, even now, sorry to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but you have all these progressive leaders and organizations and progressives in Congress who are fawning all over Joe Biden for passing, you know, these or for signing these really symbolic executive orders that don't actually change anything, all because he's giving them a seat at the table symbolically by having his staff reach out to them. So like you see all these articles in Politico where these, you know, progressives in Congress and these progressive leaders of progressive organizations are actually saying that they're taming their criticism and they're going to wait and see. Because for the first time in decades, Democrats are actually calling them and asking them what they think. Oh my gosh. This seems like a time, like this is a time when you need to be pressuring all you have and all you can to force the most leftist policies imaginable. Because you know what? Lobbyists aren't sitting to wait and see. Weapons companies aren't sitting to wait and see what Biden does. The health insurance industry isn't waiting to see. So why on earth are progressives waiting to see just because they feel like they have a little bit of power because Biden's, like, staffer called them up to ask them what they think? Like, that's where we're at. It's depressing.
0: Yeah, Ronnie, I I, I agree that there was... Immediately after the election of Biden or the the inauguration, basically since the new year, since January 2021, there was this shift on the so-called left, and it first came out with force the vote, where there were suddenly people who, rather than go balls to the wall for something as basic as Medicare for all, We're spending their time atta- attacking Jimmy Dore and defending AOC and defending people in power who were refusing to do anything for working people rather than push for the issues that I thought we all just basically cared about. I mean, force the vote. Was it really shocked me honestly how many people were willing to side with power over people there, and then it seemed like after January sixth and everything that happened with AOC, now you just can't criticize her at all. It's like it shut down the conversation that was already just starting up. Well,
1: now it, if you criticize, it's violence. Violent. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's it's violence, and you're you're like calling into question her lived experience or something. Yeah stupid crap like that pretending she's this like damsel this victim as opposed to a member of one of the most powerful bodies in the world. Yeah. I mean, she has a seat in one of the most powerful bodies in the world and we're acting like she's the victim. I mean, it's just and the force the vote stuff, you know, it just really exposed that at least half of what we call the left media in America is actually just running cover for the Democratic Party at the yeah. end of the day. Um, They're making sure that third parties cannot start, flourish, or thrive. And they're making certain that anybody who uh, challenges progressive Democrats is, like, immediately made, you know, made an example of through, like, a- like these kind of smears and this sort of libel. Um, the last month has been really eye-opening, and it's also just, like, there's like a certain toxic uh element on the left that isn't really left and i don't know why we pretend these people are left and like look to them for anything like it's like they're just they're Democrats. at the end of the day they're democrats they're on team democrat and we know that leads to a dead end so like i don't even know why we're having this argument anymore it's just sad
0: yeah well during the impeachment one of one of The most entertaining moments for me was watching certain Democrats melt down over the damage January 6th did to the image of the United States as a beacon of democracy. Let's hear from Representative Joaquin Castro specifically.
3: Our adversaries are even using the events of January 6th not only to denigrate America, but to justify their own anti-democratic behavior, calling America hypocritical. Here's what the Chinese government is saying. The spokesperson for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the Capitol riot should spark, quote, deep reflection among US lawmakers regarding how they discuss the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong, suggesting that the US is hypocritical in denouncing Beijing's crackdown in the city while it struggles with its own unrest at home. The chairman of the Russian upper house of parliament's international affairs committee said, quote, the celebration of democracy is over. This is, alas, actually the bottom. I say this without a hint of gloating. America is no longer charting the course and therefore has lost all its rights to set it and especially to impose it on others. The supreme leader is using President Trump's incitement of insurrection to mock America. He said of the situation in the United States, quote, this is their democracy and human rights. This is their election scandal. These are their values. These values are being mocked by the whole world. Even their friends are laughing at them. And these statements are serious. And pervasive.
0: All right, Rania, should we just be glad that he read all of that into the public record?
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty impressive. He gave such a big platform to statements that I I mean like tell me where the lie is. <laughs> like all those statements were right on point. I don't know. I'm not I don't know why we're supposed to be upset about that. I guess I guess if I was like an American, if I was like Team America, Captain America. I'd be, like, upset that other people saw the reality of what we are. But that's what those statements were. They were the, they're the reality of what America is. And it does make a mockery of democracy. Like, the just the level of arrogance on display from Joaquin Castro and other members of Congress who made similar points because they repeatedly brought up Russia and China um, and even suggested, like, oh, Russia could have infiltrated the insurrection
0: they were going to sell Nancy Pelosi's laptop to Russia. This was actually a story that he brought up in, in his speech.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's pathetic. But, I mean, what this really shows is, like, the fact that, you know, the U.S. is definitely being made fun of around the world. And for in, for these kinds of, like, this sort of, like, liberal empire, you know, believer uh, like Joaquin Castro, it's devastating uh, because America does go around the world talking about democracy, this human rights, that we're the leader of the free world, even though nobody elected America, the leader of the free world. We're like the dictator of the world. We just believe that we have that. Right. We're um, the Juan Guaido self-declared. We're the leader one, the yeah, Exactly. We're the Juan Guaido of the world, self-declared leader. Um, but it's I mean, it is for people like that. It is embarrassing. I get why they're embarrassed, and they should be, uh, because it does definitely make it more difficult for America to go around acting like it's uh, the center of world stability when it can't even, you know, keep a handle on its own crazies. But beyond that, I think what's interesting too is that he was so offended by the Chinese making the parallel to the rioters in Hong Kong, which is actually very apt. I mean, you guys at the Gray Zone know this better than anyone else. you have done some really excellent reporting exposing the Hong Kong rioters as like this right-wing, U.S.-backed group trying to destabilize China. Um, And it just shows the hypocrisy, right? Because like we were talking earlier about, you know, AOC and Rashida Tlaib and, you know, Raskin crying. And it's like... Have these people taken even a second to reflect on the horrors that U.S.-backed psychotic right-wing groups around the world uh, impose on the parliaments and capitals of other countries? And the terror that the lawmakers in those countries feel at the hands of, for example, the people who murdered Gaddafi? with the help of NATO air cover and then Hillary Clinton laughed about it or like the Nazis that America is arming in Ukraine or the jihadists that the U.S. armed and funded in Syria that repeatedly attacked government buildings and killed police and killed lawmakers across Syria. in Venezuela, the U.S. tries to do the same thing in Venezuela, though they haven't been as successful. Or, you know, funding these fascistic right wing elements to try and overthrow a democratically elected government uh, and trying to attack people who are just like AOC and just like Rashida Tlaib, but with way better politics. But the point is, is that. Like, these people haven't even taken a moment to reflect on that because they don't even think twice about that. The U.S., and I know people keep calling it a straw man to talk about this, but I don't think it is. I think it's very important to acknowledge and recognize that the U.S. uh, funds and participates in and backs violent coups by violent rioters around the world and inflicts this kind of violence on people all the time. All the time. It doesn't make it okay what happened on January 6th, but January 6th was like, was like, nowhere near compared to as violent as what the US does. January 6th was like soft and pleasant compared to the sort of violence the US inflicts. And there should be at least some reflecting on that. And that's what China was trying to say in that statement about Hong Kong. And for Joaquin Castro to just, you know, shove that statement aside as if it's just propaganda and means nothing shows that, you know, these people are complete hypocrites. And like, it's hard for me to feel bad for you when you can't even like recognize that you're doing, you're literally supporting what you feared was going to happen to you, but didn't happen to you. You were literally supporting that in other countries.
0: Yeah. I mean, give us some perspective, Rania, since you are in Lebanon, you were there on January 6th. How did people around you and, and in that part of the world respond to the images that we saw?
1: They were laughing, like they weren't, they weren't crying because of American leadership. They were laughing at the US. Like they, that's what they always do when something bad happens in America. I mean, you know, they don't want, it's not like they want everyone in America to suffer, but America is this like big bully that just runs around like dominating and, you know, kicking people in the face if they don't listen. Uh, And so when you're in a country that gets kicked in the face, you know, when you see the person kicking you to the face in the face like having this like sort of spectacle of trouble taking place, you think it's funny. And so yeah, these these liberals are right. People are laughing at America, but America deserves it. Like I'm I am it is it's like you can't help but laugh at this situation because it's just so absurd and the hypocrisy is just so I don't even know. I don't have the words for it. The hypocrisy is just like too much. It's like a level of I don't know. Like the, it's like how do you what do you say to that? What do you say? How how are people supposed to react when when they see the country that inflicts this on other countries get a little bit of taste of their own medicine?
0: Yeah, and then spend the next month talking about it and crying about it instead of trying to provide any relief for its suffering population. It's interesting that you say the international media you've seen hasn't been focused on impeachment, but has been focused on the crisis in the United States currently with the economy, with the, the health, uh, the, with the pandemic, the the collapsing healthcare system. And yet we're not hearing about that as much as we're hearing about impeachment here in the U.S. Rania, the impeachment trial has focused on an argument regarding free speech, specifically that the president and elected officials should be held to a higher standard when it comes to their speech, that they can actually be held accountable uh, in a way that private citizens can't. Uh, Representative Jamie Raskin specifically made this argument and used a teacher to illustrate his point.
2: Everyone should be clear. There's nothing remotely exotic about what we're saying. It should be Common sense to everybody, common sense about this understanding of the First Amendment as it applies to public servants, cops, firefighters, teachers, everybody across the land. My daughter, who I mentioned earlier in the trial, she's a teacher in a public school. The courts have said teachers teach, but if they go off script and they start advocating totalitarianism, treason, or what have you, they're not living up to the duties of their office as teacher, they can be fired, everybody knows that.
0: Rania, there he's talking about teachers, but he goes on to say that public officials also can't advocate for totalitarianism, and that that's not protected speech. I mean, especially when he's talking about teachers there, but you can apply it to elected officials as well. Does that argument not have a very slippery slope for the left?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. First of all, it's there's a he said in that argument that a teacher can be fired, which is different from being prosecuted. So his argument has a hole in it just on that basis. But absolutely, because who defines what totalitarianism is, right? Like he talks about a teacher going off script. Have you seen what teachers are supposed to teach in the U.S.? Does that mean if a teacher goes off script and starts teaching like Howard Zinn or Noam Chomsky or Michael Parenti or socialist revolutionaries. <laughs> if a teacher starts teaching about socialist revolutionaries, if they start teaching about Fred Hampton, does that mean that teacher can be fired and prosecuted? Because that's the slippery slope we're going down. And I think that's a slippery, a slippery slope for this entire argument. Because they, what, what the Democrats have failed to show is Donald Trump explicitly inciting a riot. I mean, yeah, Donald Trump, with his behavior did lead to a riot happening. He did kind of incite a riot. But as far as legal precedent goes, he did not explicitly tell people to go riot. And he did not explicitly tell people to go be violent. And that's why so far Democrats have been unable to show that. And that's why they're relying so much on this sort of emotional manipulation. But they really are going down a slippery slope because it can be used against them too. Have you seen their rallies? They tell people to go fight. Have you seen, and, and, and forget Democrats for a second. I, you know I've heard some people on the left making the argument for this but they should be the last ones making this argument. I mean, have you been to a leftist rally? Like, that literally opens the door for all of our friends who lead marches to be imprisoned for inciting a riot, Mm -hmm. if anything goes south. Like, has history not proven the majority of cases where, you know, uh, before the civil rights movement when free speech really, there really was like no... um, He was acquitted? What? What? Trump was acquitted? He was just acquitted. Ah. (laughs) So all this, all this, and Trump was acquitted, and they knew that was going to happen. They wasted all of our time for like, it it feels like it's been a month. I know it's only been like a week and a half, but they wasted all of our time when there's pressing issues taking place, knowing this wasn't going to pass, knowing they weren't going to be able to impeach him. And for what? Why did you waste my time for a week doing this when people can't find vaccines? Like, my family in the U.S. can't find a vaccine. It's almost like like
0: they don't want to pass any... They don't want to get... Look look how badly it was going for them about Medicare for All. I mean, they were getting heat from... AOC was forced to respond to Jimmy Dore because it became such a massive... uh, swell of support for, for, for Medicare for all. And I think we would just have just continued down that direction if they hadn't come up with this impeachment drama. And on the point, Rania, of, of how dangerous this is for the left, I think it's directly related to force the vote because before any of this happened on January 26th, I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if someone such as AOC or mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, somebody actually in government, called on the people of this country to come to Congress and occupy the Capitol, demand a vote on Medicare for All and say, look, this is your place. This is your house. I'm fighting against my own party to try and get something like Medicare for All through. So I need you, the people, to come and show that this is what the country needs and this is what the country wants. But now it seems like something like that would just be attacked and perhaps the member of Congress would be impeached or prosecuted for well, prosecuting for incitement. Kind of
1: yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Look at all the have you been to a Bernie Sanders or I haven't been to a Bernie Sanders rally. I've seen Bernie Sanders speaking on a video at his rallies. He's using the same rhetoric. That's what people who, you know, lead rallies do. Um and obviously like they'll argue that the difference is that, well, Democrats aren't rioting, Trump's crowd was But, like, that doesn't really matter when it comes down to the speech issue. And this goes into a broader issue of since January 6th happened, the the desire for censorship has increased dramatically, right? Like, it's actually concerning Mm -hmm. to me. It's being encouraged by members of Congress. Liberals have become complete authoritarians. They literally want to take anybody who disagrees with them off the Internet. They want them taken off Twitter, taken off Facebook, taken off Instagram. And left, there's leftists who are behind this because they see it as shutting down fascists. But the evidence shows that the opposite is happening. It's the left who's being targeted. It's the left that's being demonetized on YouTube. It's the left that's being taken off of Twitter. And yeah, Trump isn't on Twitter anymore, but you know what's really scary? Is that a bunch of tech oligarchs have been able to silence, literally disappear a figure as loud and obnoxious and powerful as Donald Trump. He He was a president. And they've been able to silence him. And I don't really care if Trump is silenced. It's about the president it, set, it sets. Because if they can silence Trump, they can literally remove us, all of us. They can move the gray zone. They can take off the gray zone. They can take soapbox. They can take all left voices. They can literally just remove us. They can erase us offline, arbitrarily. And it's like we don't exist
0: anymore. It is like he doesn't exist anymore. And that's what's so bizarre after four years of, of them ramming coverage of him down our throats. It's like he's completely disappeared. And yet again, they spent the first month of the Biden administration talking about nothing other than Trump. It's really absurd.
1: Yeah. And it's like they have really showed how they're so obsessed with this kind of tabloid politics because Trump made the mean the corporate media so much money, right? Like he made he their ratings have dropped since he stopped being president and since he stopped being able to tweet. And so they've been desperately searching for another tabloid kind of figure. And they tried to do it for a couple weeks with Marjorie Taylor Greene. They tried to cover her nonstop. It didn't really work or stick, nobody cared. Um, she didn't give them the ratings that they wanted. But it almost shows you like, because of the, the way that the corporate media set up, it's just all about profits and ratings, that you yeah. know, if there is gonna be another demagogue that comes along, it'll be because of them. <laughs> like oh, right. it'll be because they give them up they give them a platform they build them up they give them all the attention they love it they love it they miss trump and they want another one and so like they're actually a part of the problem they're a part of the reason why we had january 6
0: yeah, they gave us Trump. There's a reason we ended up with a reality TV show host as president of the entire country. And I'm just disturbed now that you have Trump lawyers making the argument against what they called constitutional cancel culture or the way that you could just target any political figure for inciting a riot if they use kind of the language like, you gotta fight hard it's why is that left to the Republicans now, Rania? I don't know. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts before we wrap.
1: The Democrats wasted our time for a week when the country is really suffering and people need help. And they're not going to forget that. Like they're it's you know, if my life is crumbling around me, I don't care about some impeachment hearing. I care about help. And it's, it's like if the people in power aren't helping me, what does that mean for the next election? So this party is extremely stupid. It has no like sense of self-preservation or long-term goals. And it's clearly a dead end. And the way that the squad has just fallen in line shows what a dead end the Democrats are. We need to stop working inside of it. And I don't know what better example there there is for why than the kind of dramatic soap opera we witnessed over the last two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's what I'll be watching in, in the coming weeks and months of the Biden administration how is the squad going to apologize for his failures for his inability to deliver on a progressive agenda and then who in so-called progressive media is going to jump to defend again I think we
1: politicians know. i think we know
0: yep so that that's the big question for me and i think uh, average people too because everybody's fed up with this party and everybody's fed up with their apologists so rania kalik We always will catch your soapbox segments, I'm sure, mocking all of these people, (laughs) and we'll laugh and appreciate them. So thank you, and thank you for speaking with me today.
1: Thanks, Anya.